everyone. This is the Safe House podcast. Your man, Pastor Ferguson, with my friend, my partner in crime over here, Broham <laughs> Mitchell Harper. What's happening, man? Well, not much. What's going on with you? Man, shoot. Just trying to get through another day. Amen. And, uh, I mean, you know, it's already starting off interesting because, you know, when you get people that are in person with you and stuff like that, and they're seeing that you're recording and all that stuff, suddenly they get silent. Oh, well. And they they act like they don't need to be heard or nothing and everything like that. So, you know, they're staring at me already. They, you know, faces are looking all plain and all that stuff. I need folk to smile at least. There you go. All right. My hey. grandmother especially, you know, you had to smile. Folks know the internet is forever, so they try to be very particular about what they do and don't say. Exactly. So, <laughs> 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 so we just... So as we like to say around here, we're the realest podcast in Christendom. So here's what I need y'all to do when you come online or you're in person with us or whatever. If you're connected to the Internet, connected to this podcast live, I want you to do what I'm doing right now. And that is share this podcast with anybody and everybody that you know. I'm looking online right now, seeing people coming into the chat. Sister Shirley, good to see you as always. If you are in the chat, please do a couple things for me. Number one, show yourself. Type in. Let us know that you're on. And number two, definitely when we get to the portions where we ask questions, things like that, definitely raise those questions. We're going to make sure that we are fielding those as we come through. Um, first thing we're going to do, as always, is open up with prayer. And then we're going to keep going forward with a couple of announcements and things like that. Hey, Danielle, good to see you. <laughs> so um, let's go ahead and open up with prayer. Uh, Mitchell, if you could open this up, man. Absolutely. Dear God, we come to you again today just, again, thanking you for another day, thanking you for an opportunity to gather together uh, with with your children, and uh, we just pray that as we go into this time of learning and, and conversation, that that you uh, you cover us and you you put on our hearts what need to be put on our hearts, and pull out of us what needs to be pulled out of us, and just help this to be a fruitful and productive and constructive conversation. In your son's name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Appreciate it. All right. Just as by way of announcement, um, we are still in our series, our NIL series. We have finally reached. The likeness portion that begins this Sunday, which is first Sunday, here at Clare United Methodist Church, in person, online at 10 a.m. And we are definitely preparing for communion as well, as we always do on first Sunday. So if you are in the city, if you are anywhere near 293 East Barthman Avenue, ain't nothing like being in person with us on a first Sunday. So come on out, be a part of what God is doing here at Clare. Also, as of course, of course, you know, yeah, don't like hearing myself. We in surround sound now. Yeah, <laughs> see, I got to I gotta mess with my family because, you know, sometimes they forget that they've just got, been a little bit behind on technology. So, you know, brother don't like to hear surround sound of his own voice. <laughs> I, I love them all the same. <laughs> the other, other, other things that are coming up, of course, as always on – on Wednesday at 6.30 is the Safe House podcast um, in person and online live at 6.30. We also, this Saturday, as always, we are having our um, Rising from the Ashes uh, mental health 
um, initiative. It has been going so well, and we've been having many people that have been blessed by it. As this Saturday, it is at 1 p.m. If you are available, please come out for that as well. Again, remember, if you are in person, we have mics um, because we definitely want to hear your questions if you're in person with us and definitely speak into the mic. And also, if you're online with us, please, please, please put your questions in the chat so that we can make sure that we are staying mindful of what it is that you have on your mind. Now that we got that out the way, <laughs> Mark 9, 2 through 8 is our launching point. And like always, Mitchell, you know, I may be the preacher, but I don't always hear myself. And I'm way too critical of myself at times and probably for good reason because I don't, I'm, I'm a perfectionist and that is probably good and or bad at the same time. <laughs> so sometimes I may not hear everything that may be coming across. But um, share with me, if you will, what this complete image thing sounded like to you as we dealt with the message on Sunday. No, absolutely. Um, I've been, I've been, I knew you were going to ask me that question and I've been struggling with it because I'm, I'm hearing everything that you're saying, but for me to boil it down to like a concise, that's never been my strong suit, first of all, but, uh, but there's something about First of all, I would have never even considered this passage to be one that would have fallen into a series like this, mm -hmm. first of all. So I appreciate how you were able to not only bring the perception of Jesus pre-transfiguration, post-transfiguration, but also the mindset of the people who were engaging with it, who were witnessing it, and how it's it's more than just witnessing the transfiguration itself. It's a it's learning from the people who saw it about <laughs> what to do and not do. Mm. So, um, but when we're we're gonna get to the point, so I don't want to necessarily skip ahead to that just yet. But I think that the points that you made when we get to those, uh, I'm really excited to talk all that out. So absolutely. So just to give. Um, a picture of what was Sunday for those that are online, the, those of us that are here in person, um, just as a quick overview, um, I'll go ahead and read the scripture from Mark 9, 2 through 8 out of the English Standard Version. And it says, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Before I go any further, the word, the word in the scripture that is of highest importance is transfigured. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. There was no amount of Clorox that could get it white. <laughs> And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses 
and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. We dealt with the idea of a complete image, and a complete image, when it comes to having a complete image in God, presents three elements. Authority, power, and prophetic living. It presents authority, power, and prophetic living. That's some heavy lifting just for an image, so I'm, I'm excited to <clears throat> talk through some of that with you today. Absolutely. I'm sure there's got to be plenty of questions. So Yeah, so um, let me give the actual points real quick that came off of this because that was the proposition and just the, the North Star, if you will, <laughs> to this message. But if, if we're to give these, give three points, three hooks, if you will, to work with, what is displayed when we present a complete image? First thing is our connection to authority. Number two, our conviction to move differently. And number three, our access to the power needed to fulfill our task. Those are the three elements that are presented in a complete image. So what I'm wondering is, if, it's, if a complete image is that heavy, mm-hmm. right, it's, it's, not, it's not superficial, it's not those kinds of things. I'm wondering why these things, and I'm and I don't know if I'm looking for an answer. I'm looking for a conversation. Mm-hmm. Why authority? Why? Why have conviction on how we move? Why having access to? Why are those things important? Yeah, that that. The first thing that that just comes to mind, and I feel like we talk this this is the the topic of the of the series, but that that being not only made in the image of God but living into fully that image mm-hmm. and the not only the responsibilities but the advantages that can come out of living fully into that that image and so yeah that knowing that you got access to who's calling the shots and living into that and and being confident in that not in a way to wield it over other people but to know that you have the power to do what you are supposed to do because you're backed by the right authority i think can make all the difference between the com- in the confidence that people can put into any situation. So um, the conviction to move differently, I feel like 
if you know who you are in in Christ and 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 as the image of God, you can't help but to but to move differently. It's it's countercultural to be fully living into your image um, as a child of God, and then access to the power needed to fulfill our task. I feel like sort of brings points one and two together. Mm-hmm. So, like anything else, I know I'm not the only one with a thought. So if you are of course, online, as we said before, please put your thoughts and comments in the chat. And for those that are in the room, do not be afraid to get near a microphone and share what's on your mind because there's no such thing as a crazy question or a crazy thought because we're trying to dig into what this means a little bit for for all of us. And I think the I think the one thing that's sticking out to me is this. The The important part to me was that whole transfigured idea, mm-hmm. transfiguration, which means literally to turn one inside out. So that means that Jesus was there, but in that moment, He gave access to three of the 12 disciples to see the fullness of who he was. Yeah, like 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 he fully exposed himself like this was. You don't know how people are going to react when you let people see all of you. And so for for him to put himself in that position, I think. Is a good example for us to acknowledge if you know who's in you and you know who's working in you to not be ashamed and not be shy about letting people see that. So why do people get scared? <laughs> I mean, no, I'm saying that's a whole other podcast. We got to, <laughs> we got to start the time, the timer over and that's a whole other topic on itself. I, I mean, I mean, th- I mean, why do people get scared to show who they are really? Especially if, if if Christ be who. Who we serve, yeah, and that's what's in us. Why do we get scared to show that? I'm just I'm, I'm wondering out loud. I th- I guess I guess today I'm not I'm not I'm not in a space to be the resident theologian. Yeah, I want to be. I want to. I want to find out some stuff today. So. If can I can I flip your question? Go ahead. Or or play with your question a Go little right bit? Go right ahead. Why? Hmm. Why why don't we create better space for people to be fully themselves? Let's go with that. One of the problems that I have as a Christian minister is to let people see to see me because the fear of people misusing or misjudging who I am or what I stand for and I believe that's probably what a lot of people have they have that fear that people will take away from that relationship that fellowship something totally different 
I mean, think let's let's take that a little further. Yeah. Let's take that a little further. Because I think I think that's I think that's right. Because let's let's examine the let's examine this the story. Mm-hmm. Only three of the twelve disciples went with Jesus. Right. Right? So that means the twelve rolled with him, but only three of them got to see in essence the fullness of who he was. Which means to some extent Jesus only trusted three of them to handle it. Right. That's kind of deep in and of itself. Right. You know, I've I've said this a million times. People say they want to get to know their pastors. And I tell people all the time, no, you don't. (laughs) No, you don't. Because if you discovered (laughs) everything about them, Mm -hmm. you might question, not necessarily them, but you may question God when it comes to why did you choose them? Because you now have to deal with all that stuff. One of my one of my um, preaching heroes that happens to be in this city, and I am not going to mention his name at all because it's really nobody else's business. But he he shared this about himself a long time ago, and I'll never forget it. Known all around the country, known in all parts of everywhere. And he said to me once, he said, because you know, you you'll see him, he talking to everybody. He 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 can talk to anybody, he knows everybody. But he says pretty openly, and he said it to me, he said, you know, the truth is, I'm the biggest introvert in the world. And I would rather go home and be to myself, just me and my family and everything else, Mm -hmm. and I'll be just fine. But he is known everywhere. And people would believe that because he's known everywhere, that he's, no, it just so happens because of what he's called to do, God overcompensates (laughs) for certain elements of his personality. And only the people that really know that it probably his family and the few close friends he has. He he's not he's not he's not that person, right? So people get afraid, be like, if you if you really got to know me, would you like me? Yeah. <clears throat> I uh I'm in therapy, right? I'm I'm always going to advocate for that. I'm going to be always transparent about that. Amen. But my uh, my therapist is always constantly harping on me about my ability or inability to control how other people perceive me, and how it is not my job to make sure that they perceive me how I want to be perceived. Mm. 
um, because they have the autonomy to glean from me whatever they want to glean from me, right? Right. And I think about that in terms of what uh, what you said, in terms of like how do I know that that people are gonna not twist or take advantage and at the end of the day you don't know right but like you you have the ability to have the people close to you see you um and then you gotta sometimes i think just let the chips fall where they may because folks are gonna i'm never gonna be able to sit here and know what anybody besides me is gonna do so (laughs) so um and i think for for Jesus, I want I wonder how that works with Jesus and and his inner circle because do you let all twelve in and then just hope that no nobody misinterprets it, <laughs> or do you say no like these three have this is a reciprocal relationship and you've proven to me that you can be here for this moment and what that means and what that looks like but so yeah I, I don't that's that's a predicament for me. Remember when Mitchell was very young? Oh God! (laughs) (laughs) He asked me a question, and I didn't have the answer, or didn't have the one he wanted. And so he said, "Well, aren't you the pastor?" I said, "Well, yeah." He said, "Well, why don't you know the answer?" That sounds like And me. I began to re- realize that maybe there are people who are congregants who are also saying the same thing. When you say, I don't know the answer, I'll check it out. But you're, you're the pastor. You're supposed to already know that information. How do you, how do you handle that? So, so that goes, so the, is an interesting segue. Because one of the things I wrote down in preparation for today in relationship to the different points of Sunday. Very first thing talked that I wrote down was about relationships. Mm-hmm. So we have, I would say, in the life of the church, we have an unhealthy relationship with perception over reality. We have an unhealthy relationship. <laughs> You're gonna have to get on the mic, say that out loud. But <laughs> but nah, he's right. because it because you're absolutely right. I need you to say that on the mic. <laughs> I'm I'm quite sure that that's not just the church. Oh that's, no. That's the that's the total totality of, of reality. Absolutely. In, in, in real life. And so because we have this unhealthy relationship with perception over reality, there are only certain people in, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to the text for a second, in context, if all 12 could, could have handled the transfiguration, mm-hmm. it is possible that we would not have what happened after the transfiguration, which we've already studied, (laughs) which is the father bringing his son to the remaining disciples, believing, here's perception, 
they could do something because they followed Jesus, right? That's perception. And being disappointed in the fact that they couldn't because he had assumed that they could. Ah. Reality of of relationships, period. Hmm. I would I would ask all of humanity to try to imagine what Jesus' disciples would look like today. It would be a pimp. It would be a drug dealer. It would be a crooked physician. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It would be a lawyer. You know what I mean? If, if you just go, you're talking about 12 totally different individuals. How many type of personalities would you have? Yep. And what would they look like? And who would be able to handle the situation that Jesus would present them today? You know what I mean? Not even going back 2,000 some odd years. Right. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm of the mindset of if what type of – my grandfather used to say something. He, he used to always say, I, I, want, I, want, I want you to use your ecclesiastical imagination. So I'm, I'm trying to do that now and imagine myself if I was one of the 12. If I was sitting there in that moment, who would I have been? How would I have reacted? What type of, of immediate, we're talking about in the moment, in, in real time. They're dealing with Jesus turning himself inside out in real time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Seeing Moses in the light in real time. You know what I mean? That's, that's how would we respond to seeing Jesus right now? How many of us would get up and be like, I, I, I'll holler at y'all the next time? It's a bit much, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll be back next Wednesday when, when, y'all, when y'all not having Jesus yeah, pop out of nowhere. Down <laughs> right. Yeah. Things are normal. Yeah, well, I'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you, but you just hit on what's in the text. Peter, for all the things we know about him, Listen to what it says again. He felt like he had to say something because he's Peter. Because he's Peter. <laughs> I got to say something. Because is it because, now, now, how do you prove that? He said, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Here comes the next part. For he did not know what to say. For they were terrified. That's like the biblical way of saying, like, he was talking out of his backside. Yeah. Like, I got to say something, so how about this? Yeah. Peter, James, and John, okay? You got you got one dude that's got the biggest mouth. You got two other guys that have, that have mommy issues. Yes. Oof. 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 Read your, read yep. your, read uh-huh. your Bible. Oh, read your boy. Bible. Read your Bible, because when when mommy was around, she tried to convince Jesus to make sure that her boys were at his right and left hand, right? Yep. And Jesus basically said, "Well, you can have it if you're ready to die. <laughs> if you're ready to go through what I'm going to go through, you can have it." Right. And they weren't ready. But it's interesting. Let, let, let's think about this for a minute. Let's, let's, let's mull on this for a minute. 
why Peter, James, and John? I mean. Yeah, because it's not like Peter showed up and said the right thing. Right. <laughs> I mean, why not Andrew? I mean, he went out finding people all the time. He was missional, as they would say in the district. Mm -hmm. He would have been a miss missional specialist. Yeah, there you go. That's what he would have been. Um, why not? I mean, why not Thomas? He would have been the perfect one. Because he said, I got to see it to yep. believe it. Uh -huh. Why not him? Yeah. But these three brothers, why them? There had to be something about them that Jesus felt that even the shock of it, they could handle it. Mm -hmm. Everybody can't handle certain things in certain spaces at certain times. Okay? Let, 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 let's, let's normalize that for a minute. Everybody can't handle certain things at certain moments, okay? Because, let, 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 yeah, we need to normalize that. It's okay. Mm -hmm. It's all right. You, you are not less of a saint. <laughs> Stuff in life is overwhelming. I mean, everything Jesus did was kind of big. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you die on a cross and you hang there for six hours. And that ain't normal. <laughs> and especially after you done got whipped and you bleeding in the street, got to carry your own cross, and you still got and you still got the audacity. The unmitigated goal to get nailed to said cross and die for six hours more after, after medical science has proven he should have died in the street. See, people don't know where miracles really happen. Mm. Right? Medical science proved that Jesus should have died in the street from the beating. The cross didn't kill him. <laughs> you, you see what I mean? He, everything Jesus did was, even when Jesus didn't try to do big stuff, it was big. I mean, he went to a whole wedding party, and it was actually trying to mind his business. You hear me? If I if I ever identified with Jesus, it was I, I don't identify with Jesus throwing over tables in the in the in the in the temple, even though I felt like it at times. Mm -hmm. And I like that Jesus, to be honest with you. But if I ever identified with Jesus, is at that wedding, is at that wedding. You know why? I'm about to say, I can oh, think of a lot of different reasons. Because yep. all of a sudden, now you got to do party tricks because your mama asked you to. Yep. Yep. Go up there and sing that song. Go up there and show them that. Go ahead. Come out here and show your family that little dance you do all the time. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mama said they need wine. <laughs> Show them the party trick. <laughs> Go on up there. He did. He said he tried to say, "I'm a grown man. It ain't my time." Mama said, "They, I, I don't care about none of that. You go up there." <laughs> I don't care whose son you are. You my, my son, son too. too. Yeah. You, I don't care if you're the son of God. You my son. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yep, you're not going to embarrass you, you me. Wait, wait, you ain't embarrassing yep. me in public. Yep. You better go on somewhere. 
I know what your name is. <laughs> you know what I mean? But even when he wasn't trying to do big things, he did big things. So to show who you are in totality yeah. before, before death and resurrection, right? To show who you are, that is not just, it's not a show-off thing. Mm -hmm. There has to be a level of relationship to do that. And everybody don't get access to that. And I think we need to normalize that too. What, boundaries? What? Say that word again. Boundaries? We don't have boundaries in church. We sure do. What? But people, but people are habitual line steppers. Mm. Oh, I got that. I got. I got that off my chest. Right. Just, just ste they step over and step over. They step over and step over and step over. They, they think, they think they, they think they own you because you exist in a space. Jesus took them up a mountain, and only took three. Left the other nine because something suggests that Jesus knew who could handle it. Yeah. It's not on. All the way up. Uh, when I read about him, hear about him, he preached about Jesus. Um, he was real. He was as real as real could be. Um, we are not that way. I always, I don't know where I heard this from, but I think it's like we have three sides, you know, this, that, that, that we show people. The, you know, we work, then we show them a different side. At home, it really is different, you know. And, of course, the other people, you've got three sides that you show people. I think only really two people who know you are the ones who actually live with you because you show so many different sides in the different um, atmosphere, the uh, situations and all that kind of thing. Jesus was the same all the time. Yeah. He was real. Mm -hmm. And maybe those three, I, I don't, we don't know why he picked those three. Maybe he could really, really be himself with those three more so than with the other nine, whatever. But he was real, and, 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 I, and I get that, and I get that in, in this, you know, with Elijah and Moses and, and, and um, I can't remember right now. It's like what I can't even remember it nowadays. He was just real, and, and we, I wish that we could be more real to people, but we are afraid to let our guard down because, because um, people, I think, less of us. And so, and so, and I think that means this. Here's the interesting part about being in a United Methodist Church where we always talk about connection. Mm -hmm. Connection ain't nothing but another word for relationship. Mm -hmm. We're a connectional church because we're supposed to work together regardless, all that kind of stuff. That, that's a heavy part of what it means to be United Methodist or just be Methodist, period. But I believe we don't work at having genuine relationships because it means a level of vulnerability. 
Jesus in this space was being vulnerable and how it's handled, right, makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And for all that Peter is, he did say something, but he was saying it from a place of like, man. Yeah. I want to give proper reverence and due to what I think is happening in front of my face. But the funny thing is, they're moving differently. Mm-hmm. And Jesus brought them to a place so they can learn more about him and what it means to really move differently. Yeah. Which brings me to the idea of the people that were present. Not Peter, James, and John, but Elijah and Moses. Mm-hmm. They represent two things. The prophetic and the law. Now, we said he turned himself inside out. So that means the law and the, pro- and the pr- prophetic rested within Jesus. Inside of him, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's inside. So when you hear Jesus say stuff like, I did not come to destroy the law. Bingo. But to fulfill it. Yep. He's literally saying, I am the embodiment of what you were working towards. And I'm also the embodiment of what it means not to be legalistic, but to really understand what this was here for. And when those two things come together in perfection, oh man, this is what it can be. Hmm. When God spoke. When God spoke, that's a good thought. That's a good thought. I wish you would have put it on the mic. <laughs> the here's the here's the thought. Mm-hmm. They go up four. They actually go up four. They're present at six. God speaks from heaven. Says, "This is my son." That's one sentence. (laughs) Here comes the second sentence. Listen to him. So once he says that, Elijah and Moses are gone. So basically, it's like you unwrap everything to see it. But then God from heaven says, he's the one. And then it all goes away. Or basically it gets what? Wrapped back up. It's almost like God knows that we all learn differently, right? Some of us are visual learners, right? Like you can tell me that Jesus is the embodiment of the law and the prophets. I don't know what that means. But if you put Elijah and Moses in front of my face, that's pretty straightforward. I know exactly what that means. I know what those two people represent. And like that makes more sense. To, not, not everybody can learn just from hearing. Some people gotta gotta see it right in front of their face. So exactly, and so they saw it for themselves, and and here's the interesting thing. They were going to have to now move in a way they've never moved. Let me let me harp on this idea of the prophetic. Prophetic words, prophetic teaching, prophetic anything is not 
it's not here for us to just get something to have this tingling in our ear of something that sounds good. But it's really an opportunity to get something from God that'll make us move in a way that God desires for us to move. Let me give this image. Samuel was a priest, a politician, and a prophet. One of the few that ever fulfilled three roles. Because as a judge, you can say he's political. He was a judge. He was actually like the first one. He was a priest because he was trained to take care of the affairs. But he was prophet because when Saul was lost and they run into a person, they said, there is a man <laughs> whose every word comes to pass. You can't have everything come to pass unless you connect it to God that'll give it dead to you. That, that, that's deep. That, look, listen, I can fail sometime, okay? I'm never going to be Samuel. But the book says that Samuel's reputation was such that every time he opened his mouth, it came to pass. It's supposed to compel you to move. It's not supposed to compel you to just shout. Yeah. Okay? Yep. Can I have, can I have my soapbox moment for real quick? Make it happen. If a prophetic word just makes you dance, then you ain't moving towards nothing. If all it does is make you dance, then you ain't real. You ain't listening to nothing. Something should be compelling you to action. Okay, at some point, you should be getting something from God that compels you to do something different. Otherwise, what are you doing? What are we doing? The word is supposed to make you move different. It's supposed to make you sound different. It's supposed to make you do things that folk. It's about your favorite term. It's supposed to be countercultural. It's supposed to make you countercultural. So I don't do things like everybody else. Yeah. I don't think about slapping people first and then praying for them second. Well, speak for yourself. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know about that one. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just talking about how far the Lord has brought That's me. That's right, yeah. yeah Lord. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still, as as I heard a preacher say today, I'm still, I'm still a work in progress, okay? Mm-hmm. But I just said I'm thankful that I, I think prayer before punch. You understand? Right. But there may have been a time <laughs> when it would have been punch before prayer. That's how far the Lord has brought. So when I hear something, it's supposed to compel me to do something. I think about the fact that, like you said, not only do something, but do something different. Mm-hmm. And and I can't remember if you talked about this on Sunday or not, but like Peter wants to do something, but he wants to do the thing that they've always done. Anytime I encounter God, I got to build an altar. I got to I gotta build a temple. I got to put up a... T- no, you've been rocking with me already for a minute. I've been with you the entire time and we ain't built nothing. So I need you to fully understand 
that we're not sitting here talking about building altars mm-hmm. and making sacred sp- like I'm here and we're moving and so like know that when you are with me you are in the pre- like we don't need all that other stuff and you're over here trying to do what we've always done and we need to recapture that new that new energy because we're not going to take time to build three tabernacles when we got work to do we got to get down this mountain and do some work ain't that a scary thought that maybe just maybe everything that has been done may not apply mm. in this season <laughs> like and and this is and this is and I want people to I pray that people hear it for what it is and not for what they think it is okay here's the here's the great thing about basically Peter saying what he said and Jesus basically in this account not responding, okay? In this account, because there's more than one account of this story. Mm -hmm. In this account, he doesn't respond to what Peter said. But Peter saying what he said, and I thank you for illuminating on this, Peter still had old school tendencies within him. Right. Even though he acknowledges that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, even though he knows who Jesus is, he still has stuff in him that's a first response. And his first response is not from a place of knowledge, but from a place of some level of fear. Because they, it said what? Let's make three tents. Let's mark, let's mark this. But he didn't know what to say. Right. That's what the text says. Yeah. He don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. What else can you say? When you see something like, what else can I'm, you? I'm falling back on muscle memory. I'm falling back mm. on what I already know. So When I see God move like this, this is the first thing I think about. Sometimes when God is moving the way that God moves, it is for the opportunity to possibly see a different possibility, a different opportunity Mm -hmm. everything doesn't have to go back to what it was jesus believed that they could handle it that's why he brought them up somebody online asked were uh peter james and john jesus's first three disciples that he called i believe they were that's a good question i believe they were so they yeah, I think they actually were. They were the first three. So yes, you, Simon, Andrew, James, and John were his first four. So yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah, uh-huh. so they were the first. They were three. The first. Three of the first four. There yeah. you go. Question: How long were they traveling with him? Because I think that when they seen him, God transformed like that with all the miracles that he had already done. My reaction would have been praise be to God, not can we build a tent. (laughs) (laughs) I think I think we have the luxury of having some space between this moment and ourselves. Um, I think, like we said, like there there is a there is a there's already and a precedent for what happens when you encounter God, right? So if you look in the Old Testament, 
when people encounter God, they say, we're going to build an altar. We're going to put stones up here. We're going to, you know, dig a well, build an altar, right. this, that, and the third, right? And so that is just, in that, in that tradition, what you do. And so I think we have the ability to say, yeah, it's bigger than that. And we we can say that it's Peter, but it's not. It would have been all. It would have been any of them. Mm-hmm. They can only operate up to this point on what they already know. Um, After all the miracles that he's done, so I just don't see. I mean, Thomas still had to be convinced after he had been crucified. So they they're no different than us. We hard headed. We 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 make things harder than they have to be. We overcomplicate things. Um, but I, th- I think, I don't think there's anything wrong with what Peter suggested. I just think that Jesus, and I don't think Jesus was telling him that it was wrong. I think he's challenging him to think about it in a different way. It doesn't, it doesn't, um, negate all of the all the ways that this was expressed in the old testament in the exact same way it doesn't say that those were wrong or inadequate he's just saying i want to challenge and i think we we got to do this with the with ourselves today how can i challenge myself to look at this engage with this live into this in a way that's different than i've convinced myself is the only way that it can be true does that make sense okay so i mean this is a and as we're kind of cutting across the field a little bit, we're we're looking at Jesus doing something so powerful that it exposes our default mode. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, because it was the selected text, but we didn't go any further than this, let's look at let's look at verse nine in this text. Yeah, because I only went to eight here. So let's look at verse, yeah, starting at verse nine. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come, that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Interesting. Mm. Laid into the prophet, which gives, which gives insight into the fact that for thousands of years, all the prophets, <laughs> see, this is why people need to be careful about talking about if they're prophets or not. Y- y'all giggling, but here it comes. Yeah. Here it comes. Yep. Prophets, real prophets, are always on a hit list. Let me say that again. They're on a hit list. 
real prophets are always on a hit list. They don't profit off of anything. Mm. I see what you did there. Mm. <laughs> let's let, let let's lay into it. Y'all ready to lay into this? There's a debate about whether there are any more prophets. Mm. And depending on who you talk to, they're going to come up with a million different reasons why there are and there are not. A lot of people would suggest that a Martin Luther King was a prophet because he was always talking about the things of injustice, things like that, so on and so forth. They might bring up Malcolm X as a prophet because of all the things that he dealt with when it came to black empowerment, things of that nature, and how ultimately he came into a full circle moment of what it meant to be you know, in the image and likeness of God and what that means in our society. Yeah. And then there are people that will talk about all these other folk that can basically speak things over people's lives and it's always some type of high ground, overflow, prosperity thing that in some instances, things have come to pass. And in others, all it did was just cause people to just have a hallelujah shout and no fruit. Wherever people are on their sides of dealing with things from a theological standpoint, here's what I know. No prophet that I've ever read about lived that long and they were they were ever in a position where they didn't get attacked on every side and let me take it one step further most of them were attacked by their own people mm-hmm. because they didn't want to hear what god had to say They only wanted to hear what God had to say in the affirmative. Don't wait. What it? What it? What it? What was the song from the Wiz? Don't bring me no bad news. Come on now. Uh huh. Yeah, that's that's what they told the prophets. Don't bring me no bad news. But guess what the prophet had to do? But thus said the Lord, whether you liked it or not. So Jesus embodied the law and prophecy and said, hey man, you ain't got to tell nobody about what happened here until I get up. Understanding that some folk just can't handle what was going down. Even though I've lived fully into the law, Y'all still got y'all still got beef with me. Like <laughs> y- I've done everything y'all say I'm supposed to do. 
But yet, it don't matter. Now, I have a question for you. I might have an answer. That's okay. I, fe- I feel like in a different version of this um, text, um, in one of the other Gospels, mm-hmm. they make reference to Jesus's acknowledgement of Elijah being somehow in reference to John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? So then let's remember John the Baptist's role. Here's the relationship. That's Jesus' cousin. Let's remember, in earthly time, John was the older cousin. Let's remember now in relationship to him and Jesus as the Savior, he was the forerunner. So John is setting the table. And this is and this is and this is again something that people miss. John's role was to set the table for Jesus. Even down to baptize, even all that stuff. He's setting the table for Jesus, even though people were following him as if he was the one. Right. He said, No, I ain't the one. I'm not worthy to tie the shoes of the one. And that was his cousin. Which should tell you another deep element to this. Some of us don't even look at our own family members in the same way that John looked at Jesus. What do I mean? We don't look at our own people in reverence in the sense of we acknowledge what's on their lives. Some of us have hated on some of our family members for what God put on their lives rather than what? Acknowledge what's really on them. And John said, I'm not worthy to tie his shoes. When Jesus said, baptize me, he said, I'm not worthy. Because he acknowledged what was on him. Mm -hmm. And Jesus almost had to just say, he just like, do it. Because if you don't, it's all going to look wrong. There was order to it, right? But eventually, John was such a target that he ended up getting what? they They got him too. John didn't live, John did not live Jesus. He died first. Now, I don't want to jump around too much. Right. But what's the significance between, because you just, you brought up that instance where he said, I'm not even fit. Mm-hmm. What's the significance of God saying the same thing at the transfiguration that he says at Jesus' baptism? It's similar, but not the same. Right, right. Baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus did an activity, an action where he demonstrated the importance of submission. Mm. Baptism. Quick, quick study on baptism. Just very quick. Baptism is not one. And I've taught this before and I'll say it again. Baptism is not exclusive to the Christian church. It, is, it, it existed years before. It is out of Greek tradition to show sign and evidence of whose philosophy you followed. Mm. So the great philosophers had those that followed them, but they were baptized. 
to demonstrate that they were followers of Plato, followers of Socrates. So in a world, wow, in a world that did not embrace the certain tenets of Judaism, and now you got a Jesus that's in a world trying to redeem those that he came from and open doors to those that were quote-unquote Gentiles, how are the Gentiles supposed to become a part of a thing unless they have something they can identify? Mm -hmm. Now, does that make sense? Now, baptism has a greater arc because we wouldn't have been able to make it in based upon just what Jesus grew up with. So we show sign of who we follow through baptism, and it takes on not only we're willing to follow him as disciple, but to follow his teaching. Yeah. Or in a general terminology within the world, his philosophy. Mm. We show that we embrace it. Now, at the transfiguration, here it is. This is my beloved son. Here's the second thing. Listen to him. So we're in a different phase now. You have walked with him. You have watched him. You are listening to him teach. But now you got to move differently that you've seen this. So this is still my son. I've identified him. But guess what you must do? You got to listen to him. Mm -hmm. you, normally you would listen to Moses. That's the law. Right. You would read the prophets. You ain't got to do all that. You got it all right here. Just like they say about, just like they say about um, cell phones, smartphones. Y'all remember the, the evolution of the computer? Went from being in whole rooms. This whole room, yeah. To the palm of your hand. Everything that you need to compute anything now in the palm of your hand. Not only can you go on here and type and do all this other kind of stuff, you can search the internet, you can call people, they can call you, you can look at their faces on FaceTime or whatever service you want to use. You can do all that stuff. But all the things you can do on this phone way back in the day would have taken a whole room. And it's now been what? Condensed to your hand. And we still don't know how to use it. <laughs> now, now take that. Now take that. Now take. Now take that reality. And here's how we touch on the last point a little bit. And we're almost home on this. Now think about this. We got all that access to all that power that would have filled up a room in the palm of our hand, and we don't know how to use it. Yet, we have access to Jesus, hmm. and we still don't know how to effectively use our access because we think that you got to dismiss one thing over another. No. He's saying, the law is still in me. I came to fulfill it. You kept on trying to just follow it as rules. Mm -hmm. But there was a method to this. Right. Wow, that's a play. There's a method to why this was here. Why do I say keep the Sabbath day holy? Because when I created the thing, you only needed so many, you only needed so many days. 
And on the seventh day, you should be looking around saying everything good. And guess what? Chill out. I take a break. You take a break. And I'm God. <laughs> I don't wait. I neither slumber nor sleep, but I still Rest. said I still chilled out. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I can only have a Sabbath. This, this is this is my little rabbit hole. I can only truly have Sabbath when everything is good. Say, yeah. it, say it again. Say it again. I can only truly have a Sabbath when everything is good. Because listen to God again when he created when God created everything and on the seventh day he rested. But he was but it was only after those first six days when God said each time, looked around, it was good. <laughs> created created heavens and earth. It was good. <laughs> Put in the rivers and the this and that. It was good. Created animals. Good. <laughs> Made hum humanity out of image and likeness and all that kind of stuff. And then created woman and all that stuff. And it was what? Good. No. <laughs> Here you go. Look, look. Look, look. You already messed up. It was good. Ain't nothing great. But anyway, God ain't great because it would suggest something was good before God. Mm. That's why it's still what? Good. <laughs> and when everything was good, God said, I can what? Chill out. And if you're going to have Sabbath, guess what? You got to make sure that stuff is good so you can truly have what? Rest. Yeah, handle your business, too. That was a sidebar. But again, they had access to God in the flesh and a command from God from heaven. You don't have to put on any show. You don't need to brag about what you saw. Just know you got access to something that they don't have the privilege of having. Which we then see in the next, <laughs> in the next portion of the, of the chapter, right? Because now, now that we know that you don't realize how to use your access, you have nine of the disciples that had a chance to show that they had access, and they really didn't know nothing. And it took Jesus coming down from the mountain mm -hmm. to show those other nine, yeah, these things only happen through prayer. These things only happen through encounter in relationship. Mm -hmm. These things come by doing things differently. These things come by making sure you have access to what you need. Amen. Amen. Before I, yes. When the situation was Peter saying, let's build three tabernacles. Is that a reference to the fact that we try to break Jesus down into Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, Seventh-day Adventist? That could be one heck of a reach. <laughs> but I, I think it would be a good, yeah. I mean, it, it's a good. Sure. Yeah. Go ahead. I think. I think what. Even though it may may not be explicit, right. I think we could take that image and apply it in a discussion. 
because I, I've shared with people, I grew up in a Baptist church, but the more I've read about Methodism, I realized I was probably more Methodist than I ever was Baptist. And yet, when I listen to certain preachers and all that stuff, I have straight up Pentecostal tendencies. And when I preach, you're liable to hear almost anything come out of my mouth. Which suggests that I cannot be put in a box when it comes to my faith journey, right? This would suggest that people still attempt to box what they see because they say this is here's the law here's the prophecy and here's salvation hmm. Hmm. let's work with it. let's mm -hmm. work with it for give me six 20 seconds yeah you can't you can't continue to break Christ into pieces. Because if you do that, you'll worship the pieces and not the Christ. Which then causes us to worship aspects and not the one. Which is why we get, look at this, which is why we have perfected church culture, but not kingdom living. Mm. Mm. All right. <laughs> Bless you. So I want to end to I want to end tonight. I think this might be the new way that I end stuff going forward. So today, if you didn't know, well, let me back up. Yesterday, everybody knows that it was All Hallows Eve, Halloween, if you will, which is always before today which is known as All Saints Day. And All Saints Day is a day to remember those that have gone on. Usually within our context, we remember those that have gone on within the last 12 months from the last time we arrived at this place. But I can't just think about those that have gone in the last 12 months because I realized that a couple weeks ago, there was somebody that was on my mind heavily. And so I read tonight, to end tonight, the benediction that I gave a couple weeks ago, thinking about my pastor. And I think probably more and more I may adopt this a little bit more than I intend to, but it always makes sense. My hand is on the plow, my faltering hand, and all that is in front of me is untilled land. The wilderness and the solitary place, the lonely, lonely desert, all of its interspace. 
The handles of my plow with tears are wet. Shares with rust are spoiled. And yet, and yet, my God, my God, keep us all from turning back. For whoever puts his or her hand to the plow and looks back shall not be fit for the kingdom of God. So on tonight, as we find our way to give a whole picture to the world about who we are, let's always remember to keep our hands to the plow. Don't look back, look ahead because God has greatness for all of us. God, as we end tonight, we say thank you for the conversation. Thank you for answers. Thank you for thoughts that seem to be incomplete. Thank you for allowing us to come together to learn and to understand in greater ways what it means to serve you. We thank you for this time and space and moment to wrestle with the hard things, to hopefully see clearer than we did before we came. And I pray that you would be with your people in this space and in cyberspace, that you would bless them for their time and for their effort to listen and to engage. Keep us all from looking back. Keep us focused on you. For it's in the name of the risen Savior, Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, and we will see you Sunday at 10 a.m. And then back here on Wednesday at 6.30 for the Safe House Podcast. God bless you. Good night.